glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, would you stand with me then as we read Jude, verses 11 through 16. It says in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I'm going to just say in verse 15, it's referencing back again to those three characters, Cain, and, and, and Balaam and Korah and, and how he's referencing the rejection of God's way and so forth. So all that's referencing back there. Verse 16, these are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Thank you. you may be seated. We'll stop reading there for tonight. And tonight's, again, the first point is going to really review verse 11, but it's more than review. There's something here that I believe we need to see as it relates to us today and how these ungodly men who creep in among us, meaning they don't influence us through proper means. The proper means of influencing a New Testament church is to legitimately unite with that church uh, as the Apostle Paul sought to do when he was still Saul in Acts chapter 9. He is said to join himself to the disciples. He had changed sides. Saul had been loyal to his own religion. Saul had been loyal to his own way of thinking. He got saved. He got baptized, Acts chapter 9. By the end of the chapter, he assayed or endeavored to join himself to the disciples in Jerusalem. And he did so by Barnabas going ahead of him and attesting this man can now be trusted. Meaning, he was making a plain declaration, I'm unashamed, I've changed sides. I was against the Lord. I was against you, his people, but I am not now. And even so, there are those who try to creep into the fold, meaning the the, the kingdom of God, if you would. There are those that try to creep into the fold of the local church. I mean, they try to weasel in some false way. And there were those who had done that in Jude. We know Judas Iscariot did it. And he seemed legitimate every step of the way. He would be considered, a, if it were a church, a member. Uh, there, were, there is no way, I don't believe, to completely hinder or prevent that from happening. I think that's why one of the 12 that the Lord Jesus had. If the Lord Jesus had an apostate in his midst, then there's no way any other... Uh, is going to be exempt from the same. It's part It's part of the season we live in. There are tares that are planted among the wheat, and so on and so forth. But we must understand that these men uh, that creep in among us, there is a way about them that helps us identify who they are. Jesus said, By their fruits ye shall know them, and we are to identify them so that they not uh, influence us and so that we can help deliver those that are under their influence and we may stand firm with the faith without 
the message of the gospel being corrupted by these men. So as we look at verse 11, we're looking at the, the identity of these men. And uh, I've entitled this message just woe unto them because we're, we're really getting an overview in verses 11 through 16 of these men. He uses the Old Testament characters to identify them. Then he uses some things in nature to identify them. Uh, he starts talking about the clouds and trees that are plucked up by the roots and uh, stars, uh, wandering stars. My understanding would be like a falling star that vanishes in the darkness, never to be seen again. And these things teach us about these men, uh, about how they operate, how they conduct themselves, and what their end will be. And so we'll begin tonight with looking at their course. I title it this because if we look at verse 11, what we've done with verse 11 thus far, I think the initial message we touched on it, but what we've done with verse 11 thus far is just broken it down and studied the three individual characters from the Old Testament. But let's read verse 11 again as we consider the course of the apostate or of these ungodly men. The word ungodly is used about them over and over. I'll remind you, let me read verse 4 again very quickly, and then we're going to read verse 11 where, where these men are identified in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, meaning they are in your midst and they got in among you without you realizing and recognizing who and what they were. May I say this? I mentioned uh, men who try to enter a church by some inadvertent means. Some of them try to do that through influencing you through the Internet or through the radio. Some join a church. They lie. They go through the steps, join the church, and they creep in not revealing what they truly believe or what they truly are. So there were those who crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 11, Woe unto them, these same ungodly men, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, let's consider the verbs that describe these men and what they do. They have gone in the way of Cain. That is a, that is a selected path that they've chosen. So, for you and I, we understand there are two ways. There is the straight gate and the narrow way. There is the wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction these men have chosen the wide gate and the broad way. They've gone, they made a, a, a specific and definitive choice to go in the way of Cain. When it came to either believing God about God's way of salvation or going their own way to be accepted of God, they chose the way of Cain. They chose to seek to impress God with what they could do for God rather than receiving from God what He has done for them They've gone in the way of Cain. So I'm defining this as their course because they've gone in the way of Cain, ran, so they're in the way. Now they're running in that way after the error of Balaam. They chose the, broad, the wide gate and the broad way, and once they got on it, they started running on that path with all their might running toward greedy reward, meaning their objective was not eternity with God. Their objective is wealth on earth. Their objective is a... Good life now. Forget heaven. We're not worried about that. We're going to use religion to make a lot of money. They're hirelings, charlatans, if you would. And so then their selected path, they've gone in the way of Cain. There is a sensual pursuit. Okay, They have ran greedily after the error of Balaam. And then there is a sudden perishing. And we've touched on all of these with these men. They've perished in the gainsaying of Kor meaning they've run right into the pit of God's destruction by choosing the wrong path, by pursuing the wrong thing, and ending with destruction. 
That's their course. And that's what is... So we not only have these characters that show how they operate, there's a course articulated here. They've chosen a path. They've chosen a pursuit that ends in a way of perishing. Or a good preacher say some time ago, as many preachers have repeated this phrase, you have the liberty to choose the path you want to. You do not have the liberty to change its destination. God gives you the choice. You can go in at the wide gate if you wish. You can take the broad way if you wish. Now, by the way, here's the thing about a wide gate and a broad way. It can include everybody. I want to say this again. We dealt with this when we preached on Noah. uh, That uh, Satan's way is entirely and completely inclusive. It, It can include anybody it's not exclusive it's not narrow it's broad broad-minded broad in philosophy broad i mean it encompasses so much you look at the the concept of humanism today and you can be a baptist humanist you can be an episcopalian humanist you can be a catholic humanist i mean it it encompasses every so-called religion on planet earth it doesn't matter but you cannot be a christian and a humanist amen and by the way if you're going to be a true baptist you got to be a christian amen but you can carry whatever title you want. It's broad and encompassing, not God's way. Cain's way is a broad way. It is. To offer the Lord the best you have to offer Him and expect Him to accept you as you are, that's the way of Cain. It's the way they've chosen. So let me deal with just a moment this selected path. I referenced Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Uh, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth destruction. And many there be that go in thereat, and straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth uh, unto life. A few there be that go in thereat. I'm not sure if I'm quoting that verbatim, but that's the idea of the wide and the broad and the narrow and the straight. Uh, Cain's way was a way of unbelief, unrepentance, and therefore he was unregenerate. You must know these have rebelled and resisted and opposed God's way of salvation. This is the point I want you to see in this first point. We may be able to get in another point tonight as well. But if you look at the, I hate to use the word progression, but if you look at Cain, Cain represents the ungodly man's opposition to God's way of salvation. That is the way of Cain. I reject the narrowness of a substitutionary sacrifice and shed blood as the payment for my sin. I rather prefer to offer God good works. Let me say this. Most so-called Christian denominations today are in the way of Cain. Most. It's a broad... It doesn't matter what, what it calls itself. Most that would call itself Christianity today is in the way of Cain having some form of religion that because I go through the rituals of my church or I go through uh, what they require to be part of that church, that means I'm righteous and I am doing my best. And so the way of Cain is a way of unbelief. Uh, Cain was unbelieving, unrepentant, and unregenerate. And so are these ungodly men. Just because they've crept their way into a body of believers does not mean they're saved. They are in the way of Cain. They've rejected God's only way of salvation. But it's interesting as we move forward, and I probably want to spend some time here, listen to a message this week by another preacher on the doctrine of Balaam. is very helpful to me in, in understanding what Balaam did. Balaam did not really and was not really used to attack the doctrine of salvation. What did Balaam assault? Balaam... It deals with a group of people who are already under the favor of God. But remind, let's be reminded, what, as we looked at the message a few weeks ago on Balaam, what was it that Balaam taught God's people? He taught God's people to intermarry with heathen. <laughs> Did he not? And in so doing, to commit fornication and to eat things offered to idols. That's what Revelation says. 
So Cain represents those who rebel against and resist and oppose and reject God's way of salvation. Balaam represents that these ungodly men do not stop at attacking salvation. They do not stop at rejecting salvation. They reject the truth of separation. I'm going to tell you something. There is an absolute full-blown assault on the doctrine of separation in our day. Those who want to tear down the lines of distinction between the church, and I speak of that as in the generic sense, whether it's this church or another church, but to break down the lines of distinction between God's people and the world. They want to build a bridge between the world and God's people. One of the dangerous tools that's been used to do this is the pressure that is put upon us as a church to, we sang the song, bring them in. God does want us to bring them in, but He wants us to bring them in the right way. There's a pressure put on us as a church to be appealing to a lost world, to learn how to appeal to their senses, to make them want to be in church. I'm going to tell you something. If you get saved, genuinely saved, you'll want to be in church. The best way to get folk to want to be in church is lead them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. While we welcome unbelievers to our church services to hear the preaching of God's Word, we do not have a concerted effort to make unbelievers feel comfortable in church so that they can come as an unbeliever, stay as an unbeliever, and instead of us being used of God to see them be regenerated, they are used of Satan to see the, 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 the distinction between the church and the world broken down. Uh, this is why, let's get very practical. This is why you can watch today what is a so-called church service and truly it looks, feels, and sounds more like a nightclub than it does church. That's because someone taught those people that you can use everything the world does for its sensual appetites, plug it into biblical or, or religious lyrics, whether in the pulpit or from a musician, and it's all good. This is why I so fervently oppose CCM music. This is why I so fervently oppose this, what is called contemporary church. It's not contemporary. It went, took place at the golden calf. When Aaron said, they said, build us, build us a calf like those around us, if you would. Build us a calf. We'll say it's, build us something, call it a God. Of course, you know how it happened. Aaron didn't build a calf. They just threw in the earrings and it came crawling out of the fire. But you realize what Aaron did? That's what he told Moses, by the way. He said, they gave me their gold. I put it in. It came out like that. I, what could I do? But you know what he did? He said, we'll also build an altar. Tomorrow is a sacrifice to the Lord. He used a golden calf to worship God? Is that confusing? The next day, they had them what would be equivalent to a rock and roll concert. They ate and drank and rose up to... Play. Church was about fun, not about worship. It was about let's be, let's have fun. Let's dance around this calf. He made the people naked to their shame. He unclothed them in the name of worship. Does this sound familiar? We have worship bands today. And I'm not here just to rail tonight. I'm trying to teach us something and show us something. Apostasy is alive and well today and tearing down churches by breaking down the wall of separation. As God's people, our distinctiveness is holiness, not inclusiveness. Our distinction is to be like our God, and that is to be holy, to detest that which is evil, to detest that which is unclean, to love the sinner, yes, but not be conformed to the world in the process. 
What happens today, you have entire dance bands on a platform, women in yoga pants dressed in vile fashion saying it's worship. Friend, if that's worship, we are in serious trouble to so stir wicked appetites of the flesh and call it worship of God is nothing less than Balaam religion. That's all it is. I'm teaching and preaching both tonight. That's what it is because here's what happens in Balaam's doctrine. You think about this for a moment. Balaam was hired by whom? Who was paying Balaam's paycheck? The enemies of God or the friends of God? The enemies. But Balaam posed, and the Bible calls him a prophet. He knew all about God. He was familiar with God. He spoke, obviously. Somehow he communicated with the people of God. And here's what Balaam did. As a prophet, he was hired by Balak, the king, to teach, to to curse God's people when God wouldn't let him. Then he taught Balak how to get the people of Israel to commit fornication. Meanwhile, he said is, get them to intermingle and intermarry. Get Get the Israelites to combine their relationships with the ungodly and it'll destroy him. Balaam rejected God's plan of separation. When did God plan on the children of Israel marrying up with the Midianites and Moabites who are idolaters? Never. Never. But, But what Balaam taught was, no, you can get along with the world just fine. You can be a God worshiper and commune in fellowship with an idolater at the same time without any problem. You see, we all have one common goal. I don't know how he taught them, but he taught them to break down the wall of distinction. An Israelite can marry a Midianite. An Israelite can marry a Moabite. It's not a problem. You just commingle, intermingle. There is no clear distinction between the people of God and the world. And I'm telling you, the more we live in this, in this generation, in this country, the harder it is to tell the difference between someone who claims to be a Christian and someone who is not. The world claims to be filled with the grace of God. And Christians claim to be have license to follow their lusts. And there's an intermarrying, if you would, in both literal and in a figurative sense between God's people and the world. I want to remind us of some things tonight. God still intends on His people living and being a separated people. A people that... Separation does not mean we never communicate with those people. It means... We do not take part with them. We do not fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I just want to remind us tonight, and by the way, if separation from the world by embracing the holiness of God and rejecting the ungodliness of of this world is not a personal conviction for you tonight, friend, it needs to be. The Balaams of this world are hired by the enemy to teach us that we can intermingle with a lost world and get along with them, intermarrying, make make communion with them, follow their ways, let their ways into our lives without any harm being done. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Here's how we be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God wants us to be separate through holy living. Don't touch the unclean thing. Keep your hand off of that which is filthy, that which is defiling, that which is sinful in the sight of God. Don't touch it. Don't, don't long for it. Don't embrace it. Stay away. Stay separate. And so then what Balaam does, and the, the Balaams of our day, they say, you know what? We need to reach a lost world. In the name of evangelism, we're told, go out and embrace the culture. No, embracing the culture is touching unclean things. Love the people in the culture, but we're not to embrace their sin. Let me ask you something. How many of us know what is associated with rock and roll music and rock and roll concerts? Do do some of us live long enough to know the kind of ungodliness that rock and roll genre represents? Does not the genre of rock and roll music and even the country music lifestyle represent immorality? Licentiousness? I mean, is that not what it's a symbol of? then why in the world are we bringing that stuff and using it supposedly for worship? That's like using a golden calf to worship the Lord God. It makes no sense. And I'm using music as an illustration because it's an easy one to use. There's other illustrations that can be used. But I'm telling you tonight, the, the, the assault on the fact that God wants His people to be distinct through holy living is alive and well. It's real in our very lives today. You're you're surrounded with people that see no need to live a separated life unto God, meaning I'm going to have language that I know is pleasing to God. I'm not going to touch unclean language. I'm not going to touch unclean entertainment. I'm not going to touch unclean um, unclean living, unclean lifestyles. I'm not going to touch fornication with a hundred foot pole. I'm not going to touch adultery. I'm not going to touch idolatry. I'm going to steer clear of that stuff because I belong to God. And a lot of the standards that are developed in people's lives are, if I go beyond that line, I'm going to be touching it. How do you believe rules are not a sin? There's something wrong with men today who preach more against rules than they preach against sin. <laughs> Something's wrong with that. You know what they are? Unruly. <laughs> a man that hates rules is unruly. And you want to, you want to, you want to, hey, separation requires me to say, if I'm not going to touch that, then I can't go beyond this point. If I'm not going to touch fornication, then I can't listen to it in my music. If I'm not going to touch adultery, then I can't flirt around with it on Facebook. So there's some rules I got to set up so I don't, that's as far as I'll go. I don't want to touch it. You know what I am for saying this tonight? A legalist, a narrow-minded. The people that say that, nine times out of ten are Balaam's. Teaching God's people to blur the lines of separation and join the world in living in sin. God did not save us to join the world. May I say this? We understand very well that the cross of Jesus Christ reconciled us to a holy God. I'm going to tell you what else it did. It killed you to a sinful world. The cross did not only accomplish your life through Jesus Christ toward God, it accomplishes our death to sin, self, in a sinful world. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 6, 14, he said, I will not glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom... The world is crucified unto me, 
die unto the world. We often emphasize the exclusiveness of the cross for a, a reconciled relationship with God, but that's not all the cross does. The cross not only reconciles us to God, it brings a death to this world. Many people miss that. They miss the fact that the cross is not only intended to reconcile us to God, but to bring in us a deadness to the world. I'm not living for the world anymore. I'm living for Him. He's the one who saved me. I'm trying to say this tonight. There's a concerted effort to mar, to malign, to misrepresent and to turn your hearts and minds against the truth that God intends you to live unto His glory for His pleasure, for His purpose, and not to try to win the favor of a lost world so we can get along with the world. Do you realize God never told us to learn to get along with a lost world? He told us to, to tell them the truth. He told us to love them uh, in the sense of giving them the gospel, but He never told us to intermingle and embrace them. We're to call them to repentance and be a reproof to them. Not out of pride, but out of love. Amen? And so the fact of the matter is that even as Cain rejected God's way of salvation, Balaam rejected God's way of separation. Look at James chapter 4. By the way, what is the world? I mean, when we're talking about the world in this sense, it's those who are unbelieving, unrepentant, and unregenerate. Balaam got along better with who? Moses or Balak? Balak, because they were one of a kind. One claimed to be a preacher and the other not, but they both had the same goal. Oppose God, get rich, and ruin God's people in the process. And so then, let's go ahead and read James chapter 4. These are some pretty firm verses. There are some preachers out there. I read one today. He has an entire video out on why James is not for you. He claims to be a Baptist. I don't know what that man's problem is. Well, actually I do, but we'll not get into that tonight. The book of James, though written to Hebrew believers, is absolutely for you and me. Much application here. It'd be convenient if it were not. Amen? How convenient to be able to just ignore that book of the Bible and say, you know what? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God was written to Hebrew Christians. I don't have to do that. Anyway, I digress. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain... You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If you and I are trying to build friendship, with God-rejecting, Christ-denying, unbelieving sinners. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about being friendly. That's not what he says. I'm talking about forging fellowship, agreement, friendship, companionship with a lost world. We're being the enemy of God. That's what the Word of God says. But that's exactly what Balaam taught the people of God to do. Learn how to get them to accept you. Learn how to get along with each other, though you serve different gods though you have different values, though you have different objectives, learn how to embrace them because you you want that, right? And so uh, the truth of the matter is Balaam represents those whose pursuit is sensual. And so what these, what, what there are many prophets and teachers, false teachers being paid to do today is teach God's people how not to live a separated life, but how to join the world in their sinfulness as the people of God. 
they are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. It's not a minor issue. It, this is this issue of teaching God's people to ignore lines of separation that distinct. How many of us know this? By position, we are distinguished from the lost world. We are in a reconciled relationship with God. They are not. We believe what God says about us as sinners. They don't. We believe what God says about His Son, Jesus Christ. They do not. We, we have received the Spirit of God and are indwelt by the Spirit of God. They are not. Uh, we, we have a completely different uh, position with God. We have a completely different disposition. We have a completely different nature. And so then, if that's not reflected in how we conduct ourselves, something's out of kilter. We are separate by position, and we must be separate by practice. And yet, how many uh, a child of God is trying is trying to be live a life that is acceptable to unbelieving people? I want unbelieving people to like me. I want unbelieving people to be able to get along with me. I don't want their criticism of me. That's what the doctrine of Balaam will do, and he'll guise it as this is the right thing to do. It's, we're, it, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous. I'm going to give you an example tonight, very practical, uh, of someone, and, and I, I'm a, a little reluctant to do this, but it's such a, a tremendous example of what I'm talking about that represents what we're dealing with in our age. It's one person. We could use other names that fit the same bill, but it's someone who, to my knowledge, as far as I can tell, was never born again, yet some of his songs end up in our hymn book. How many have ever heard of a guy named Andre Crouch? Have you ever heard of Andre Crouch? may have heard of him, maybe not. Um, he, he, was, uh, uh, he, he, he passed away in 2015. He was an American. I'm going to read you what Wikipedia says about American gospel singer, songwriter, arranger, record producer, and pastor, referred to as the father of modern gospel music by contemporary Christian and gospel music professionals. So numerous contemporary Christian and gospel music professionals refer to Mr. Crouch as the father of modern gospel music. Crouch was known for his compositions, uh, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power, the song My Tribute or To God Be the Glory, not the one in our hymn book, but one called, some of you may be familiar with that song, the song Soon and Very Soon, We Shall Wear a Crown. Uh, There's some other songs he's known for. He collaborated, notice that word, collaborated, on some of his recordings with famous and popular artists such as Stevie Wonder, Elder Barge, Philip Bailey, uh, Chaka Khan, Sheila E., so on and so forth, as well as the vocal group Take Six and many other popular artists. Many popular artists uh, covered his uh, material, including Bob Dylan, Barbara Mandrell, Paul Simon, Elvis Presley, and Little Richard. In the 1980s and 90s, he was known as the go-to producer for superstars who sought a gospel choir sound in their recordings he appeared on a number of recordings, including Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, Madonna's Like a Prayer, and The Power, a duet between Elton John and Little Richard. Crouch was noted for his talent of incorporating contemporary secular music styles into the gospel music group he grew up with. Don't miss what I just said. He was known for incorporating contemporary secular music styles into the gospel music he grew up with. His efforts in this area helped pave the way for early contemporary Christian music during the 1960s and 70s. And you wonder why we oppose CCM. This is one of a host of examples. CCM is nowhere, anywhere rooted in the Word of God with the people of God at all. CCM is in no way 
And I'm just using this. I'm using this as an example. We could, we could show this in numerous other aspects of church life where the lost world have become pastors, preachers, teachers, musicians, influencers, and little by little their ways have crept in and broken down a line of distinction between God's people and the world. Here's a man who is known for having recorded on the, on the Lion King with Elton John and was friends, known to be a friend. How many of us understand the lifestyle Elton John lived? Unashamed, unabashed. Uh, Crouch's original music arrangements were heard in the films The Color Purple, for which he received an Oscar nomination, Disney's The Lion King, and as well as the NBC television series Amen. Awards and honors received by him include Grammy Awards, induction to the Gospel Music Hall of Fame in 1998, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, In contrast, here's a quote by Fanny Crosby. Sometimes I need to reject the music proposed for my songs because the musicians misunderstand that the Fanny Crosby, who once wrote for the people in the saloons, hasn't merely changed the lyrics. Oh, my, no. The church must never sing its songs to the melodies of the world. She was no stick in the mud, was she not? No wonder her songs have lasted and lasted. In contrast, you have Crouch, who is known for desiring to bridge a gap between the secular and the sacred in the world of music. You say, what is all this about? A concerted effort to get the local New Testament church, God's people, to ignore the lines of unholiness that we need to stay away from and touch not. To break down and see the world and the church join hands, it's all leading to what we know, a universal religion, a universal one-world church. We know where all that's going. To get that, you've got to break down the lines of distinction and get God's people to be okay with intermingling with and agreeing with and joining hands with lost people. And I use, again, music only. There are preachers who hold the same philosophy of, of seeking that line of distinction broken down. This is not intended to be an entire message on separation. But as much as Cain assaulted the doctrine of salvation, Balaam assaulted the doctrine of separation. And thirdly, Korah assaulted the doctrines concerning service. God had some lines of appropriation when it came to service. And we find the apostate attacking salvation by his rejection of it and production of his own way. We find the apostate rejecting separation by teaching God's people to go join lost people in their sin and mar those lines of distinction of of holiness versus unholiness. And then we find Korah challenging God's system of service. Though it was in the Old Testament, there's a principle there. We find in the New Testament, I'm not saying the man was an apostate, but we find a man named Diotrephes taking preeminence in the church that John was writing to and shoving other people away and turning people away and uh, becoming the central figure. He was stepping out of his role, stepping out of his realm, we find the Lord establishing qualifications for offices. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe this. I've heard many times pulpit committees discuss the criteria they're looking for in a pastor. And it's, well, we want someone this old with this many kids and this kind of experience. Oh, yeah, if you can line up 1 Timothy 3, that would be great. Now, I'm not saying every pulpit committee that does that is apostate. I'm not saying it. I do believe there's an influence there where the apostate cannot stay inside his boundaries when it comes to serving God. He has to step up above where God has placed 
uh, him to be or the position that he should hold. And there's a challenge for God's method of service in the local church. The, these ungodly men are like Korah who gainsay. They push back. Uh, they, it doesn't matter how biblically sound a message is. They're going to push back and be contradictory and use their contradiction to build a following, to build ministries and movements, not through simply preaching what the Bible says. Later we'll read, these are they that separate themselves. Being separated is biblical. But you know how we become separated? By just obeying God. You don't separate yourself. God separates you. You obey God, I promise you, you'll be separate. Amen? But these are they who separate themselves. How? By saying, oh, I have, I have an understanding of Scripture that I've never met anybody else that has this understanding. The preacher, he doesn't get it. He just preaches what, he's just naive and too black and white. There's more to it. There's deeper mystery. I, I can't agree with that, even though it seems like that's what the Bible says. Heard a preacher this week saying, when you find somebody saying, yes, that's what the Bible says, but that's not what it means. And he used the illustration. When we come to John 3, 16, and it says, for God so loved the world, and they begin to say to you, world doesn't mean world. You better look out. When they begin to say to you, whosoever doesn't mean whosoever, something's wrong. Amen? There is, uh, the, the apostate uses gainsaying meaning contradiction of truth and contradiction of duly ordained spiritual leadership, he uses that as the means to build himself up a tower and separate himself and distinguish himself from all others. There's so much of that. If you And don't do too much ever because it will discourage you. But if you were to peruse the Internet and see how much spiritual religious content there is and how many are seeking to make a name for themselves by coming up with harebrained ideas... And opposing sound doctrine. I'm going to tell you something. If you preach sound doctrine, you won't be unique. Because someone says, well, that's just what the Bible says. Right. Nothing original coming from here. (laughs) What an original message. It better not be. Amen? It's the Bible. And so then, these men, I told you, first point. This is all we're going to get in. They have a selected path. That's the way of Cain. They've gone in the way of Cain. They've chosen a way of rejecting God's way of salvation. Therefore... They have a sensual pursuit. They're not pursuing God because he's not their savior. They are pursuing money. Balaam greedily ran after the reward. What was he hired to do? Seduce God's people into intermingling with the world and breaking down the lines of distinction and separation between the world and God's people. And then thirdly, they are going to end up with sudden perishing just like Kor as they gainsay and oppose the word of God through, through men of God who are given by God the responsibility to preach the word of God, this is their opposition ends up being their undoing because they're not opposing man but God. And so then we see the course of these ungodly men. It's a selected path. They've chosen it. It is a sensual pursuit that ends in sudden perishing. God willing, next week we'll pick up in verses 12 on down. We'll consider their character. That'll be point number two. These men are unclean unconcerned about it, unstable, unrooted, unfruitful, uncontrollable, undone. Thirdly, we'll consider their condemnation. And then finally, their conduct is described in verse 16, how they conduct themselves, though that's been touched on already. It's described in more detail there. And so, Lord willing, the Lord doesn't come get us between now and then. We'll pick up on this next week in considering their character as it is described by comparing to them, them to some things in nature. I'll just say it again tonight. There is, there is, there is a concerted effort to get you to relax your attitude toward ungodly people of the world 
There is a concerted effort to say separation is a doctrine of mean-spirited people. It's a doctrine of a holy God. And it wasn't just for the nation of Israel. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is written to New Testament saints. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. How? Touch not the unclean thing. Don't agree with the world in touching what they embrace. We're to reject what they embrace. Amen? We're only to touch what is clean in the sight of God. I mean, let's know there's some things that are unclean in our spirit, in our words, in our actions, in our appearances, in what we listen to and look at. We're touch it not. Stay away from it. It is rooted in idolatry. We don't worship sensual pleasures. We worship God, and our goal is to please Him. Amen? That's what godliness is, living a life that's pleasing to God because He has saved me by His grace. Mm-hmm.